Chapter twenty three, part two of Children of the Ghetto by Israel Zangwill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter twenty three, The Hope Extinct, part two. Moses had folded his phylacteries with pious primness and put them away in a little bag, and he was hastily swallowing a cup of coffee. "'Here's the shilling,' she cried, "'and tuppence extra for the bus to London Bridge. Quick!' She put the ticket away carefully among its companions, in a discoloured leather purse her father had once picked up in the street, and hurried him off. When his steps ceased on the stairs, she yearned to run after him and go with him, but Ikey was clamouring for breakfast and the children had to run off to school. She remained at home herself, for the grandmother groaned heavily. When the other children had gone off she tidied the vacant bed and smoothed the old woman's pillows. Suddenly Benjamin's reluctance to have his father exhibited before his new companions reoccurred to her. She hoped Moses would not be needlessly obtrusive, and felt that if she had gone with him she might have supplied tact in this direction. She reproached herself for not having made him a bit more presentable. She should have spared another halfpenny for a new collar, and seen that he was washed. But in the rush and alarm all thoughts of propriety had been submerged. Then her thoughts went off at a tangent, and she saw her classroom, where new things were being taught, and new marks gained. It galled her to think she was missing both. She felt so lonely in the company of her grandmother she could have gone downstairs and cried on Dutch Debbie's musty lap. Then she strove to picture the room where Benji was lying, but her imagination lacked the data. She would not let herself think the brilliant Benjamin was dead, that he would be sewn up in a shroud just like his poor mother, who had no literary talent whatever. But she wondered whether he was groaning like the grandmother. And so, half distracted, pricking up ears at the slightest creak on the stairs, Esther waited for news of her Benji. The hours dragged on and on, and the children coming home at one found dinner ready, but Esther still waiting. A dusty sunbeam streamed in through the garret window, as though to give her hope. Benjamin had been beguiled from his books into an unaccustomed game of ball in the cold March air. He had taken off his jacket, and had got very hot with his unwonted exertions. A reactionary chill followed. Benjamin had a slight cold which, being ignored, developed rapidly into a heavy one, still without inducing the energetic lad to be put on the sick list. Was not the publishing day of Our Own at hand? The cold became graver with the same rapidity, and almost as soon as the boy had made complaint he was in a high fever, and the official doctor declared that pneumonia had set in. In the night Benjamin was delirious, and the nurse summoned the doctor, 
and the next morning his condition was so critical that his father was telegraphed for. There was little to be done by science. All depended on the patient's constitution. But alas, the four years of plenty and country breezes had not counteracted the eight and three-quarter years of privation and foul air, especially in a lad more intent on emulating Dickens and Thackeray than on profiting by the advantages of his situation. When Moses arrived he found his boy tossing restlessly in a little bed, in a private little room, away from the great dormitories. The matron, a sweet-faced young lady, was bending tenderly over him, and a nurse sat at the bedside. The doctor stood, waiting, at the foot of the bed. Moses took his boy's hand. The matron silently stepped aside. Benjamin stared at him with wide, unrecognizing eyes. "'No! Vigades, Benjamin!' cried Moses in Yiddish, with mock heartiness. "'Thank you, old Four-Eyes. It's very good of you to come. I have always said there mustn't be any hits at you in the paper. I always told the fellows you were a very decent chap.' "'What says he?' asked Moses turning to the company. I can't understand English." They could not understand his question, but the matron guessed it. She tapped her forehead and shook her head for reply. Benjamin closed his eyes, and there was silence. Presently he opened them and looked straight at his father. A deeper crimson mantled on the flushed cheek as Benjamin beheld the dingy, stooping being to whom he owed birth. Moses wore a dirty red scarf below his untrimmed beard. His clothes were greasy, his face had not yet been washed, and for a climax he had not removed his hat, which other considerations than those of etiquette should have impelled him to keep out of sight. I thought you were old Four-Eyes," the boy murmured in confusion. "'Wasn't he here just now?' "'Go and fetch Mr. Coleman,' said the matron to the nurse, half smiling through tears at her own knowledge of the teacher's nickname, and wondering what endearing term she herself was known by. "'Cheer up, Benjamin,' said his father, seeing his boy had become sensible of his presence. Thou wilt be all right soon. Thou hast been much worse than this." "'What does he say?' asked Benjamin, turning his eyes toward the matron. "'He says he is sorry to see you so bad,' said the matron at a venture. "'But I shall be up soon, won't I? I can't have our own delayed,' whispered Benjamin. Oh, don't worry about our own, my poor boy," murmured the matron, pressing his forehead. Moses respectfully made way for her. "'What says he?' he asked. The matron repeated the words, but Moses could not understand the English. Old Four-Eyes arrived, a mild, spectacled young man, 
He looked at the doctor, and the doctor's eye told him all. "'Ah, Mr. Coleman,' said Benjamin, with joyous huskiness, "'you'll see that our own comes out this week as usual. Tell Jack Simmons he must not forget to rule black lines around the page containing Bruno's epitaph. Bony nose, I mean Mr. Bernstein, wrote it for us in Dog Latin. Isn't it a lark? Thick black lines, tell him. He was a good dog, and only bit one boy in all his life." "'All right, I'll see to it,' old Four-Eyes assured him, with answering huskiness. "'What does he say?' helplessly inquired Moses, addressing himself to the newcomer. "'Isn't it a sad case, Mr. Coleman?' said the matron in a low tone. "'They can't understand one another.' "'You ought to keep an interpreter on the premises,' said the doctor, blowing his nose. Coleman struggled with himself. He knew Yiddish to perfection, for his parents spoke it still, but he had always posed as being ignorant of it. "'Tell my father to go home and not to bother. I'm all right. Only a little weak,' whispered Benjamin. Coleman was deeply perturbed. He was wondering whether he should plead guilty to a little knowledge, when a change of expression came over the wan face on the pillow. The doctor came and felt the boy's pulse. "'No, I don't want to hear that matter say,' cried Benjamin. Tell me about the Sambachion, father, which refuses to flow on Shabbos." He spoke Yiddish, grown a child again. Moses' face lit up with joy. His eldest-born had returned to intelligibility. There was still hope, then. A sunburst of sunshine flooded the room. In London the sun would not break through the clouds for some hours. Moses leaned over the pillow, his face working with blended emotions. He let a hot tear fall on his boy's upturned face. "'Hush, hush, my little Benjamin, don't cry,' said Benjamin, and began to sing in his mother's jargon, "'Sleep, little father, sleep. Thy father shall be a rav. Thy mother shall bring little apples blessings on thy little head." Moses saw his dead gittle lulling his boy to sleep. Blinded by his tears he did not see that they were falling thick upon the little white face. "'Nay, dry thy tears, I tell thee, my little Benjamin,' said Benjamin, in tones more tender and soothing, and launched into the strange wailing melody. Alas, woe is me, how wretched to be, driven away and banished, yet so young, from thee. And Joseph's mother called to him from the grave, Be comforted, my son, a great future shall be thine. The end is near, old Four-Eyes whispered to the father in Yiddish. Moses trembled from head to foot. 
my poor lamb my poor benjamin he wailed i thought you would say kaddish after me not i for thee then he began to recite quietly the hebrew prayers the hat he should have removed was appropriate enough now benjamin sat up excitedly in bed there's mother esther he cried in english coming back with my coat but what's the use of it now his head fell back again presently a look of yearning came over the face so full of boyish beauty esther he said wouldn't you like to be in the green country to-day look how the sun shines it shone indeed with deceptive warmth bathing in gold the green country that stretched beyond and dazzling the eyes of the dying boy the birds twittered outside the window esther he said wistfully do you think there'll be another funeral soon the matron burst into tears and turned away benjamin cried the father frantically thinking the end had come say the shema the boy stared at him a clearer look in his eyes say the shema said moses peremptorily the word shema the old authoritative tone penetrated the consciousness of the dying boy yes father i was just going to he grumbled submissively they repeated the last declaration of the dying israelite together it was in hebrew hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Both understood that. Benjamin lingered on for a few more minutes, and died in a painless torpor. He is uh, dead said the doctor baruch dynamis blessed be the true judge said moses he rent his coat and closed the staring eyes then he went to the toilet table and turned the looking-glass to the wall and opened the window and emptied the jug of water upon the green sunlit grass end of chapter twenty three